movers and shakers and welcome back to Check Your Pulse. My name is Anissa and I am checking my pulse to see if I'm alive because you're alive and we're all alive together. And someone else who is alive with me today is someone very special in my life. My, well, we shared DNA, really. My cousin, Sasha Villanogov. Um, hey, Sash. Welcome to Check Your Pulse. Hey, yes. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Are you okay? You seem a little bit nervous about this, this process. Oh, I'm a little bit nervous. Um, as I was saying just before, I, I sort of, um, I don't really take much time out to, to talk about myself, I suppose. So it's, mm. it is, it is something that's, um, that's, that's new for me, but, um, oh, you know what, you got to put yourself out of your comfort zone to grow. So <laughs> that's why I'm here. Absolutely. Um, I think the reason why people were like, why have you got your cousin on the podcast? Well, um, he's not just my cousin, uh, ladies and gentlemen, he is also an Olympic silver medalist from Rio Olympics, uh, rowing. Let me explain that. Right. Heavyweight quad rowing silver medalist, Rio Olympics. (laughs) How how would you just put it in the terms that people can understand? Oh, look, yeah. I mean, oh, look, a lot of people, obviously they, they, they don't even know the difference between rowing and canoeing and kayaking. So it can get a bit confusing with all the events, but, um, yeah, I suppose I'd put it as, uh, we are the silver medalists from the Rio Olympics in the heavyweight men's quad scale. Right. Yep. Does that fit on the medal? Oh, look, there's a few little, um, contractions. I mean, quad scale is just four X and yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah, look, it's, uh, it does fit on the medal. It's a pretty big medal. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, rowing seems to be such an interesting sport that you got into because we grew up out in country Queensland. So I grew up in Emerald and you, well, your family grew up in Mara initially and then you moved to Rockhampton when, how old were we when that I was happened? 10. 10. Yeah. And then when did you get into rowing? When I was 13. So, um, yeah, when, I mean, as you say, grew up in Mara and out in Mara, uh, there was, I mean, no rowing boats, um, sort of in the form that we end up, uh, that we race in. So I didn't even know about the sport until moving to Rockhampton and actually going down to the Fitzroy River when I was 13 and watching my older sister uh, at rowing training then. So the reason that I started was that, yeah, my older sister Natalia got into it and uh, mum paid for membership and then Tal decided she didn't want to do it and... Having already paid for membership, mum was like, well, I don't want this to go to waste, yeah. so do you want to row? And I was sort of thinking, oh, well, it might get me out of swimming training on Saturday morning, so, <laughs> so that sounds all right. But isn't rowing earlier than swimming training? No, it's not, no. Back, back then it was very relaxed. I think we, uh, we got down to the river at about seven in the morning and just sort of yeah. mucked around in boats until about nine. Okay, so if you mucked around, what, at what point did you decide, you know what, I'm going to go to the Olympics? Well, I didn't even realize for a long time that uh, there was rowing at the Olympics. I um, So when I started in 2003... Okay, so you've just got... Wait on, hold up. So you've just decided, my sister Rose, don't want to ruin the membership, I'll jump in, paddle around for a bit, or what do you... Or row, stroke? <laughs> stroke yeah, around yeah. for a bit, yeah. have some fun, and didn't even know that it was Olympic sport. No, not at all. I am... Um, I didn't even know you could go to the state championships for rowing. I just thought it was a bit of a joke and a bit of fun, pretty much. Um, so look, for me, it was a, a case of going down, doing a bit of training. And then um, in our year eight squad, we had a, a selection trial for to rate, uh, 
essentially just a race in the singles to see who the top four were that could then go into the quad. And we went to a few local regattas in Townsville, the Gold Coast, Bundy. Mm. And then a few months later, I was made aware of the state champs at the end of the season. And I mm. thought, oh, geez, state champs, that's a, that's a pretty big deal. Um, I'd been to the state swimming championships a few times and, and, um, and just to sort of hear that there was a state championships for rowing, I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I wouldn't mind going to that. It was in Rocky, so it was pretty easy. Um, so I went down there and we raced a quad and I raced my single and my double and didn't have much success. But um, I suppose at that point in time, it was just a case of opening my eyes a little bit to the potential to actually be able to rate yourself on a, uh, or well, not rate yourself, but actually go and be able to compete at the state championships um, and sort of see where, where you fit in the hierarchy of the state. Yeah. Do you think I, you sort of come across, and forgive me if I'm wrong, but it's kind of how it sounds. It was a very relaxed atmosphere. Do you think that was because of the country towns that were involved? Like it wasn't, you know, when we're not talking prestigious schools in major cities that make a big deal about it. Do you think it was that kind of relaxed atmosphere that maybe made you not fully aware of where this could go? Or do you yeah, think, think it was so. just more your interpretation of the sport? Well, I mean, we were sort of in our own little bubble in Rockhampton. I mean, the Rockhampton Grammar School, we were the only, uh, we were the only rowing program in Rocky. And so we were sort of always just doing our own thing, never really had any visible benchmarks beside us on the water. There were no other schools. And as you say, I mean, down south at the, uh, the GPS schools, it certainly is a much bigger deal, rowing, yeah, uh, yeah. school rowing and school sport in general. So for us, we were in, a, in our own little bubble up there. And I think it did work to our advantage. We had, a, we had a good core group of pretty driven guys throughout my time at school. And so we just created the, um, the competition within ourselves and really pushed each other in a, I mean, I think in a pretty healthy way. Yeah. Um, and, and sort of being a little bit separate from the rest of the country um, and almost a we, I suppose we flew under the radar a little bit, which, which in some ways did work to our advantage. Because you were rowing on the Fitzroy with the crocodiles. Did you see any? Have you seen any? Like no. rowing along or? No, thankfully I haven't. The only, the only run-in I had with a crocodile was in Townsville. So um, I, was, uh, I was training my single there in 2008 and I was out in the water by myself one morning. And on the Ross River in Townsville, I was used to all of these swirls around my boat, um, but they were often just normal, normally little, just freshwater turtles. Um, but then one day, I remember hitting something, which it was quite. It was a bit of a deeper thud, and I thought, oh, it didn't sound like a log. Uh, yeah, didn't know what it was, but anyway, I hit something and decided that I was going to turn around and go home anyway. So I started turning around, and then probably ten meters away. I, a crocodile surfaced and sort of just checked me out. Obviously, it was thinking, "Geez, what just hit me?" But um, <laughs> but it wasn't it wasn't big by any stretch. It was yeah. a, a little freshwater crocodile that um uh, that sort of inhabit that stretch of the Ross River. So it wouldn't have been bigger than a meter. So I didn't feel too threatened, but I was just hoping that there wasn't a big mama around, swimming around. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Because we grew up, um, you know, having holidays out in Yarwin over towards. Gladstone Way and you know we'd occasionally go out with our well, your dad my uncle and my dad and go on the river and go you know fishing and I remember our mum I don't know if you remember this 
like story, but we went out one day and um, our moms are already like worried. Your mom's a terrible warrior, but she was already worried about us and crocodiles. And then that particular day or that morning, there was a massive sighting of a huge croc, but they didn't find out till we had come halfway back and they were in hysterics. So we decided to play a trick on them and tell them that we saw these massive ones that came next to the boat. Yep. So how yeah. did she feel about you kind of going into oh, look, I think this ig- I think, commitment of rowing? Oh, I think ignorance is bliss, really. I mean, because, I mean, we were new to Rockhampton, so we really didn't know about, I don't know, the fact that there were crocs in the river. And <laughs> yeah, we, okay. we hadn't seen any and we hadn't heard of anyone who had seen any sort of in, in the stretches that we row on. So it was... um. I think, yeah, for mum, it was just a case of out of sight, out of mind. Um, yep. If I came home one day and told her that I was, I don't know, a, a croc had to go at my single scale, I think um, it could be a different That would be, be the end of story. it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Okay, so you've gone, you've been rowing this school and you've um, committed from committed to that from grade eight, yeah, all the way through. When did it sort of start becoming, okay, this is a, a, a deal, like this is something that I'm really focusing on now, I'm going to commit to, at what point? I'd say at the end of year nine, so when I was 14 going on 15, mm. we were racing at the school state championships and our coach came up to us and said, okay, fellas, if you win this quad, if you win this race, I'll think about sending you to nationals. So that was a point where, again, almost like a few years earlier when I was all of a sudden made aware that there was state championships, yeah. at this point in time I was, I was made aware of the next level, which was the national championships. And I thought, oh, geez, that sounds pretty cool. I've never been... Well, actually, again, I'd, I'd been to one national championships for swimming mm-hmm. and knew how much of a big deal that was to me at the time. So to, to find out that I could go to nationals for rowing was a, a huge deal. Um, and that was a real sort of, um, that was a real point in time where the trajectory of my rowing changed. And I thought, okay, the, the level of competition stepping up. I really need to step up and I really need, all oh, my crewmates, we really need to step up as a crew as well. Um, and I suppose from that point, um, going to nationals where um, you've got all of these clubs from around the country. I mean, we were racing people from Tassie for the first time, WA for the first time. And I, th- I think um, being in that environment certainly uh, then opened my eyes to the, uh, the world of rowing that's even beyond that. I mean, we were all of a sudden sort of cohabitating with Olympians and world champions and yeah. um, Australian rowing team members. And I think... Um, and you were just, just these guys from Rocky. Yeah, we were, absolutely. But actually just having that sort of that, those visible athletes right there in the boat park beside us uh, certainly made me aware of um, what could be done in the sport. Um, which previously I just, I just had no idea that you could even row at the Olympics, as I said before. Yeah. Okay. How did you go from then making, I guess, that change? You've made that commitment to go, all right, I'm taking this seriously. I can, I can see where this can go. And then committing yourself to the training and the effort and all the behind the scenes work, because growing up with you and, you know, having holidays and stuff where we'd come over to Rocky, you know, I was always in awe at the commitment that you had when we were up, all us kids watching, you know, movies and stuff, and you'd be like, "Oh, guys, I got, I got to go to bed. I got to get up for training in the morning." And training would be what four thirty starts or something to be on the. Yeah, I, it depended on the point in time, but yeah, I mean, there certainly were a number of four thirty mornings in there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, look, I think um, 
I've always been pretty competitive and I sort of, I think back on my childhood and for whatever reason, I was always out to, to prove to myself that I could do something um, more so than prove to other people that I could do something. And I mean, I think I just had a lot of energy as a kid. Like if, if I was born now, I'd probably be diagnosed with ADD, but um, <laughs> I had a lot of energy to burn. And, yeah. and I, I mean, but having said that, I, I never was was never pressured to do anything and I, I never had any sort of external sort of influences telling me I should do something. It was always that I wanted to do it and I wanted to be there and I wanted to actually see if I could actually achieve something that I set out to achieve. Um, so, I mean, I remember, I mean, I actually think I was, a little, I was much more of a nutcase when I was younger, um, when I reflect on sort of my days in swimming, because I remember being... Uh, I would have been 10 years old and I just made my first state team uh, to go to the nationals and back then I'd heard okay alright well if you I mean once you get to this level you've got to start making sacrifices and that wow that, when you were yeah 10. when I was 10 yeah so I mean my coach at the time said okay you know what like you got to start making sacrifices and I he wasn't very specific with what a sacrifice was yeah so I saw. Well, what was it in your ten-year-old head? What I, was yeah, a sacrifice. I, I applied my own interpretation, <laughs> and so basically, um, just as about six weeks before the national championships was Easter, mm. and so I got all my Easter eggs, and mm-hmm. I didn't eat a single one. I crushed them all up into a lunchbox and put them in the freezer, and thought, okay, I'm going to eat these in uh, six, seven weeks' time after nationals. Yeah. Just because I thought, okay, I mean, not necessarily because I thought oh, the chocolate's going to, I don't know, make me put on weight or it's going to slow me down. It was just that no, I need to make sacrifices. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And that was your and sacrifice. So, yeah, exactly. So, and also, I mean, as a 10-year-old, every time I'd watch TV, I'd just do 50 crunches and 50 push-ups. Yeah. And that was just one of those things, one of those sort of little extra cherries on the top that I thought at the time I needed just to um to actually I don't know make the necessary step up before the national championships was there an influence there that made you like a athlete or anything like that or seen something tv or heard how athletes train that made you think you know what that's that extra little edge that I need to you know commit myself more to the sport or was it just something that you just went Personally, you went, I, I want to be able to, you know, punch out a hundred crunches or that would mentally, that would make me go, I am fit enough for this or. Look, I suppose well, back then I had a mentality of that, um, on race day, I wanted to know that I'd done everything I could, um, in the preparation to ensure that, um, yeah, when I was lining up on the blocks for that important race, that. I had no doubt in myself that I'd done everything that I could do. And yeah. I th- I mean, now that I'm thinking about it, I think mum certainly had a part to play in that. Um, mum was probably my first sports psychologist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, as, as I think mothers are the first psychologists, aren't yeah. they, in general? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I remember one of the things that mum said to me um, when I was uh, actually at the selection trials for that, that Queensland team, um, she said something to the effect of when you're on the blocks just think to yourself um, I've done everything I can and now it's going to pay off 
I've done all the training that I can and now it's going to pay off. I've prepared, I've turned every stone and now it's going to pay off. And so that was sort of my mantra um, in the marshalling area and then getting up on the blocks. I was just thinking, okay, I've done the work, now it's going to pay off. And that was just something that I held on to back then. And I think um, that sort of mentality certainly translated into the next few months preparing for the nationals. And I was thinking, okay, basically I've got to use every opportunity I can to actually try to better myself physically for that race in three months time or whatever it was. Um, so I think that's why I opted out of eating the Easter eggs and started doing crunches and push-ups every time I watch TV. If we, if we told any of our young cousins now, cause we've got some, our, our cousins have got kids now and they're all about seven, eight, nine, ten, the older ones. If we told them that they had to get their Easter eggs in order to win a race, none of them would volunteer at all as a sacrifice. I know that for a fact. No, but I mean, but the thing is, I don't, I mean, just, it was one of those things which was a placebo for me. I mean, now, I mean, with with hindsight and now that I'm, um, yeah, 27, I mean, I look back at that and think, well, no, I mean, I I realised that abstaining from chocolate certainly wouldn't have made me um, any faster but back then I believed it did. And so maybe there was that placebo effect back then. Yeah. Um, yeah. So in terms of that ment- mentality, do you think were there definitely triggers that maybe set you back? Because that, that, as you said, that might be a placebo effect that made you go, you know what, I am, I am faster. I'm going to push harder. You know, I'm, I haven't had that chocolate that, you know, yeah. was there something maybe that made you go, Oh, I didn't do that now I'm not as good. Was there any that sort of self-doubt and... Look, back then, no. Um, when I was yeah, 10, no. I think that that sort of uh, mentality of becoming worried about the things I didn't do or maybe the things I didn't have started creeping in when I was a bit older, more in rowing. So, um, yeah, I... I sort of got a bit of a, um, a reputation when I was a bit younger, uh, so sort of 18, 19, 20, mm. even maybe 21, mm-hmm. of being a bit lazy. <laughs> <laughs> no. And, <laughs> a 21-year-old lazy? Yeah. Never. I mean, like, this is between my rowing mates and I, so the people I used to train with, they used to get a bit frustrated because I, um, I would be the guy who would miss sessions here and there and... Uh, wouldn't do much training over the Christmas break and come back really unfit. Um, and, and I think a little bit of that started creeping in at times into my racing. Um, mm. And I would, I would, I would think, okay, geez, like I'm, I'm racing this guy who's been training all through the Christmas break, all through New Year, and I haven't done anything since September last year. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I would, I would think, okay, I'm really, I'm, I'm too unprepared for this race. Yeah. And, or I just, I haven't done the work and, and I mean, you do have these doubts, but, um. Do you think that was retaliation for that age though? Cause that's quite a, you know, get out, see the world kind of partying age well, bracket. Oh, look, I think, I don't know. I mean, I, I just don't think I ever really enjoyed training as much as some other people yeah okay yeah and i mean i loved racing and i loved competing and i loved um competing with awesome inspiring people yeah but um at that point in my life i just yeah i know i suppose i got away with not training as much as i needed to yeah um and so why would i 
why would I wake up early and go and sit on the rowing machine when I could wake up early and go fishing? <laughs> yes. <laughs> or, or why would I go to bed early if, if I haven't seen some friends and I want to go out and, uh, I don't know, enjoy catching up with them? Yeah. Um, but uh, there, was, there, there certainly have been points of doubt, but um, at the same time, one thing I feel like I learned um, was to be able to put that aside mm. and say, okay, you know what, I haven't done the work. I know that guy over there's done a lot more training than I have, but screw that. I mean, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna really make it hard for him to beat me today. Yeah. And, and then in addition to that, it, it wasn't so much, okay, I'm gonna make it hard for him to beat me. It was, okay, I haven't done the work. I know that there's a lot fitter people out here, mm. but I'm just gonna really hurt myself. Mm. And if I can really hurt myself, then I think, I might still have a shot at doing reasonably okay. Yeah. Um, and I quite enjoyed that feeling actually. Like when I when I started, I don't know, getting into that way of thinking, I really enjoyed the idea of almost coming into something un- underprepared. <laughs> okay, being your own underdog. Yeah. Well, <laughs> just just thinking. Okay, you know what? I haven't done I haven't done the work here, but what's possible? <laughs> like, <laughs> okay. yeah, what's possible on on this minimal amount of work? And I mean that that was something that actually sort of even even came in at school um in year 12 especially when when i spent more time on my study and less time on training mm. it was it was sort of a case of okay look the pressure's off because i haven't done that much work yeah but um or like relative to other other athletes um so let's see what i can do um, yeah. even with that limited preparation and that's something that you can't get away with the further you go on. No, but no. as a schoolboy um, or a young sort of a young adult athlete, um, it was, I mean, it, it got me through. Um, but at the same time, I think it, it actually meant a lot in terms of the, uh, the mental aspect and being able to actually just deal with setbacks and deal with um, I don't know, less than ideal preparations. Yeah. Um, because... It means that um, I don't know you are essentially just uh, more mindful, I suppose, and it's it's you're aware of maybe these flaws in your preparation, but you don't let it affect your performance on the day. Well, it's almost kind of accepting that in general life isn't perfect, so you're never going to have it, no matter how well you train. Essentially, I'm not saying that don't train, but you're never going to have these perfect conditions that you build up in your head. And it's all, it is about, well, what have I got with me now? Yeah, exactly. What are the tools I have and what's the best outcome I can have with these tools? And it's kind of a a much nicer way of thinking than the way that we're kind of brought up to be thought about everything being perfect and getting a hundred percent right. And Mm -hmm. you know, that's a lot of pressure. It was something that really hit home last year in Rio as well. I mean, I, uh, I'd sort of um, put the idea of the Olympics on a pedestal for a long time, and um, well, years really. Oh yeah. Because you yeah. had been going. Sorry, don't want to. I'll jump back to Rio in a second. But you finished grade twelve. You then you got into JCU for med. Was that right? Yeah. Yep. And then all this rowing stuff happened, and that kind of took priority. So you stepped away from that, and you got more into going to university for more the rowing aspect. So you were in. Sydney for a while, then you jumped to Canberra for um, 
uh, the Institute of Sport down there and then you were somewhere else and you were just a, a bit of a nomad for a while just following... Yeah, for sure. And, and I, I mean, that's what I needed to do to actually achieve my rowing goals. I knew I needed to be surrounded by the right people in the right environment. And that changed over time. I mean, uh, straight out of school, Sydney Uni was the place I needed to be. Mm. And then after four years at Sydney Uni, I knew I needed to move to Canberra. And Canberra worked really well for me for two years. And then again, decided that I needed to move to Adelaide for a couple of years. And that was exactly where I needed to be to get the most out of myself at that point in time. Mm. Um, and I think, I think that is something that certainly worked for me um, throughout my career is just having the flexibility to actually be able to say, all right, um, I need to always ensure that I'm in the best place possible, not the place I want to be necessarily, um, but the, the place that I need to be because of the people, because of the coach, because of the athletes. Um, and I think having that flexibility to actually be able to yeah, follow the dream around, um, that certainly worked in my favour. Because you you were following, I guess, the dream of now the Olympics, right? So we've, we've kind of gone through that transition of going, okay, I'm, I'm good at this. I've done nationals. You were doing, you're starting to do world championships. So you're starting to travel overseas to some of the most incredible places. And you were starting to become really well, I guess, well traveled. So it was kind of tra- the trade-off in a way. It was go to university and, and focus on that for a few years or have this amazing adventure of training and traveling and meeting new people. And mm. But you weren't my opinion of the outside looking in was that you never was settled so you were constantly flying back and forth and flying home and all this sort of stuff did you ever feel um like I guess homesick from that routine of being able to just I guess not get up at 4 30 in the morning and because this has become now a new commit like a strong commitment yeah no it did it uh, I certainly felt um yeah I certainly felt homesick a lot um and for me, I sort of found that often if, if I was getting a little bit wound up in the head or um, felt, a, like, felt like I'd been living out of a suitcase for too long, um, or if my performance was starting to decline, often the cure was actually just going back home up to Rocky and spending a week or two with the family. Fishing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, but mainly just forgetting about rowing and, and sleeping in, doing what I want, not being accountable to anyone else, um, and just actually decompressing. And, and I, I did that pretty much at the end of every year. I would sort of get to November, December feeling pretty burned out, basically, and then go home for Christmas, New Year's, and come back a new man. Yeah. Um, and, and that was probably the bare minimum that I, I needed to do. I think um, had I had any less uh, than that two weeks at home at the end of the year, I probably... I probably just wouldn't have continued rowing for as long as I did. Um, And I think um, especially now that uh, the Olympics has finished and I've had uh, an opportunity to go home and actually spend a good solid chunk of time at home. Um, Mm. I mean, I I was in in Rocky for about six months after Rio. Mm. And I think that sort of made me uh, really realise how much... I had missed because of the sport. Yeah. Um, and, and like how much, I mean, it comes back to sort of that term sacrifice. I mean, I've never been a big fan of the word sacrifice. It, it was a choice I made. Um, but uh, 
you do realize, yeah, sort of chasing that one dream, how especially relationships can suffer. Yeah. Uh, and, and not, not suffer, but I mean, like, um, just, I feel like some of my friends who I've been able to see over the last six months who were neglected quite a bit for the, the prior eight years, yeah. we're better friends now than we ever have been or ever were. Mm. And, and even just being able to sort of slot back into home and, and stay with mum and pup and the siblings, like um, being able to do that just makes me sort of feel like more a part of the family again, whereas for a good eight years, um, I was, as you say, a bit of a nomad, a bit of a, a one-man show just doing my own thing. So, Essentially, what happened was you, you put your civilian life on hold. <laughs> yeah. You know, like no, you, you didn't yeah. have that... Um, you know, you didn't have the university, you didn't have the regular friends, you didn't have the regular weekends, all that kind of no, stuff, and you and, were the nomad. And, 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 I mean, rowing really dictated everything. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it dictated where I needed to be. It dictated sort of what I had to do on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. Yeah. And and it was always sort of, yeah, con- essentially direct, well, yeah, providing the direction to my life for that time. Um, yeah. So it's it's been pretty nice to actually... Um, be able to choose my own course for the last six, eight months. So jump forward to Rio. So we were all excited when you got the nod that everything was happening and you were in the quad and that was all going ahead and you started the training and all that kind of thing. Um, how did you feel when you knew that you were going? Yeah, it's, it's one of those things that, I mean, I, I certainly don't want to, um, I mean, I, I don't want to, I don't know, it might, might sound a bit arrogant to be honest, but I always knew I was good enough to do it mm. and it was just a matter of actually going through the process and and making it official. Yeah. Um, I think uh, the, and that is just, that's the product of actually having a goal which is bigger than getting selected for the team and the goal was always to do well at the yeah. Olympics and I think, um, and sort of that mindset meant that actually getting into the team was just a matter of process because I'd, I'd sort of um, set my sights higher than that um, having said that to actually get the approval and and have a, a, a good selection trial and then be named in the team I mean that was huge I mean like just to actually make make it official um, it, it was I don't know I suppose it was probably the biggest stepping stone um, in terms of actually doing what I wanted to do, which was go to Rio and do well. Uh, so that felt good. And, um, we had a nice little party in Rockhampton just, uh, to sort of mark the fact that, um, I was on my way, um, to my first Olympics and, mm. um, and that was great. I mean, going home and actually, uh, sort of being surrounded by family and friends who were basically celebrating like I'd already won the Olympic gold medal. Yeah. Um, that was really nice because we get we get caught in this bubble where we're surrounded by Olympians and we're surrounded by world champions who have all been there, done that before, and so, so, it's it's not really as much of a celebrated thing. Yes. In the rowing bubble. No. So to sort of yeah break free of that bubble and go home and be surrounded by my loved ones and for them to as I say just be over the moon that that this this stepping stone had been achieved it really put things into perspective for me which um which which was really lovely. Yeah. So you had, so the going over, you've been doing the training. Um, we also got, were you as a team 
aware of kind of what you were after from the race? Did you you know where you kind of sat in terms of world rankings? Did you have an idea of what you actually wanted to achieve in terms of getting to finals or getting in, you know, a medal placing? Was anything like that kind of said or was it unsaid or...? Yeah, well, we we knew that the Australian quad had won a silver medal at the 2015 World Champs. I wasn't a part of that crew, but two of the guys who raced with us in Rio were. And so we had this, um, we had the knowledge that the crew from 2015 was the second best in the world. Mm. And so we, we knew that if we could be of the same standard or um, uh, then, then we should be up there. Uh, so in the lead up to the Olympics, we had a couple of World Cups, um, both of which we managed to win which then, as a fresh combination, gave us some pretty... Well, just confidence, gave us, yeah. Well, it gave us confidence and it gave us a pretty good idea of where we sat in the field, so we knew we were somewhere up the front. Yeah. Um, and so going into Rio, the goal was to win. Yeah. Um, and that was what we trained for every day, and that was, that was what was in our minds every day for the six months that we had together. Yeah. And... Um, and in Rio, uh, we won our heat. So we went through, I think we got the fastest time um, yep. in the heats. So we qualified fastest for the final, went into one of the center lanes. And and um, so even right up until that point, uh, I mean, and right through the race, we were still aiming for that gold medal. Um, and, and I think uh, basically the way the race unfolded was that the Germans blasted out of the start yeah. And we managed to peg them back a little bit, but in the end, they, they beat us by half a boat length. Yeah. And we, yeah, we slowly clawed our way back, but it just wasn't enough, and they were just too good on the day. How, um, did, how did it feel, that moment, when you crossed the line? And I was, you, and you I was like, been to, chasing them? To be perfectly honest, it was a little bit of surprise. I mean, we, we, I mean, we didn't expect them to do that. And even though it was very much a, um, I mean, our plan was all very internal and we were focused on what we were doing, um, we, we were still caught off guard a little bit. And, and I think that was just one of, I mean, in hindsight, it's one of the, the beautiful things about the sport. And um, I mean, I certainly don't, I'm not frustrated by that or I'm not, um, I don't feel like we lost the race. I think we had our best race on the day, given the conditions, given our preparation, we actually did everything we could. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, look, the Germans—they just—they just did it better than us. Yeah. And I mean, there's there's nothing I can do about that. No. Um, and so look, um, I think initially we were a little bit shocked, but then 20 minutes later, over the moon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Realized everything we'd done. Realized everything we'd achieved. Realized these awesome friendships and relationships we'd built amongst each other. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was just. Uh, it was pretty special, I suppose, just to actually take stock of everything we'd been through and, um, and everything we had achieved. And then, as I say, also just to realise that it's anyone's race on the day. Mm. And on the day, we were better than 99% of the world. Yeah. And um, you were lucky enough, in a way, to have um, a few family members come over and be able to support you in, in the crowd. Um, unfortunately, at that time, um, your your dad, my uncle, actually just before, had a bit of a, a bit of a stroke. How did that affect you? Like just before you were about to race, it was just before they were about to leave. 
it wasn't possible, obviously, for him to come over then. Did mm. you block that away, or was it something that? Yeah, I think I did to a certain degree. Um, I, like I, uh, at the time, I was sort of pretty clinical when I got the phone call um, telling me that the old man had a stroke, and I, um, I remember just sort of, yep, just saying, okay, all right, yep, is he okay? Do I need to come home? Is he going to die? No, mm. okay, all right. Well, the family's in Rocky with him. He's in good hands. He's I mean, he's he's gonna get better. Yeah. All indications sort of said that he was gonna get better, so I was like, okay, all right, I don't need to worry about that right now. Yeah. And did just put it out of my mind for the next two weeks, and then it was one of those things that sort of, um, I don't know, I suppose, became more real and um, uh, became sort of went to the front of my mind as soon as we finished and. I remember sort of the day after our final just really wanting to go home and mm. and I think um yeah it was just sort of that point in time where I realized okay shit this I mean what what happened is is pretty real and I need to get back and see the old man to make sure he's okay yeah um thankfully thankfully I we uh one of the guys in our crew Carsten he's uh he's 10 years older than me so he's got quite a bit of life experience <laughs> and uh and he was he was really good to have going through that process just to be able to talk to someone about it um someone who'd been through um his own personal struggles with family um only a few weeks earlier so having him there was was a real sort of um pillar of strength for me at that point in time yeah um yeah, so, look, it was certainly put out of my mind um, and something which sort of came crashing down a few months later when I got home and we were having a bit of a party and, and I sort of saw the, uh, the state the old man was in. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, look, it's, it's one of those things which I didn't um, intentionally forget about, but, yeah, just there's, there's other that things moment. that need to yeah. be done. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess to sum up, let's pick up the highlight. Um, what would you sum up your whole experience as? Like, is, what's your biggest learning? This is years of, I guess, a learning curve. Mm, it's yeah, it's yeah. a bit hard to sum it up in a sentence or anything like that. But is there yeah, something yeah. that you've kind of gone, you know what, from that experience, now that I'm moving in, because you're moving into medicine now, mm-hmm. you're, you're studying that and finishing that off finally yeah. <laughs> in, in your mind. If I can pass, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll pass. You're fine. Just flash the silver medal. You'll be fine. Um, if only. Yeah, is there something that you kind of like, you know what, like that was my life lesson in that experience? Oh, there's been multiple. Yeah. Um, oh, look, I think, I think basically the, uh, at this point in time, as a 27-year-old, I'd say that just relationships are the most important thing. Yeah. Um, relationships with family and friends and really nothing else matters yeah. <laughs> um, in the grand scheme of things. So for me, it was... Um, I mean, what, I mean, rowing certainly taught me a lot about myself and allowed me to, um, I don't know, basically figure out my own personal strengths and weaknesses, um, physically, mentally, emotionally, dealing with other people. Um, but really the best thing to come from the, what's it been, 14 years is really just the relationships that I've built with other people. Um, and especially those people who have um, been with me in in those situations like last year. Um, so I'm in Cam, Jimmy, Carsten and Johnny, our coach. Uh, the, the friendships we forged uh, mean so much more mm. than, than the silver medal sitting on my desk back at home. Yeah. Um, and I suppose that's really what I'm grateful for um, from the whole experience. 
Sasha Belanogov, Rio Silva medalist. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Jess. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> now you can go and enjoy the rest of your day. You're free! <laughs>